Welcome to Voices. My name is Ian Hunter, and I talk to people. Today I'm chatting with writer-director Craig Brewer. We talk about the hustle to get things made, the filmmaking process, the importance of community, and a few other cool things. Stick around. say man I'm talking about man is in mankind not man is in man as men well, we a lot like a dog we tattoo as shit you know we gonna protect our own but man he know about death got him a sense of history so with this said you tell me what it is you want to do with your life I totally get it. You're, you also have a low kind of yeah. thing. Um, I, one of the best compliments I think I had was like Eddie and Arsenio telling me that <laughs> one day. They're like, you should do radio, man. The voice ears. So, yeah. Yeah. Coming to America was, Sweet. well, I went, I went over to both of them and I was like giving them a note while they were talking and I was like way down here and they were like, <laughs> damn, man. When you yell action, I'm sure that's loud. Not really. <laughs> you see the new Mustang? I did see the new or Mustang. I don't know if you're a big car guy. I know oh, you've yeah. the same one for like 15 years. I, I've but. had I've had the same Mustang since 2005. And that, uh, I dig that about you. It's Yeah. Well, it was a special car. It's got a special story to it. Was that like hustle and flow check thing? Well, what it was. Yeah. Uh I me and that first splurge kind yeah, of Yeah, me and my my wife at the time, we had uh a, an old Subaru that we were splitting uh, between the two of yeah. us. So hustle and flow <laughs> happened. Um, but I really didn't get paid a lot for hustle and flow. Like a lot of people think that I did, but I not really like we made the, the movie unbelievably cheap for movie standards. There was a special, uh, category that we could be put in where we were modified low budget scale, which means because we had a certain percentage of, of minorities. I don't know if this is still the same, but back in 2004, it was where mm-hmm. if you had a certain percentage of minorities or physically challenged people or anything like that, then you, you could, you could qualify your movie under a different SAG and, and union budget. So we made the movie for like a million yeah. seven or something like that. And, uh, I knew that I was doing black snake moan and I knew I was going to get a nice, I mean, nice back then for me that yeah. it was like, Oh wow. I'm, I'm going to like have enough where I could buy a car and, and, and my wife could buy a car too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because she was it an a seven. She, that she just was, hit me. I remember seeing yeah. her in it and yeah. I'm a car guy. So yeah, she had this out. Okay. So, so you, you know, um, we, I wanted a 2005 Mustang. Mm-hmm. So I went down to the Ford dealership on Summer Avenue and I was going to buy a new one when that check came in, which was probably about a month or two away. And I went to the car dealership and I, I got in a new uh, 2005 Mustang and it was black and I drove it around with the dealer and I liked it. But as I was driving back, I noticed that there was this white Mustang with two red yeah. racing stripes. Yep. 
up on this like lift. And I said, well, what's the, what's the story with that, with that girl right there? And, uh, he was like, well, um, that's a, that's, that's a, actually a used car. But the story behind it was that this guy fell in love with it, bought it, brought it home and his wife freaked out and mm-hmm. he had to return it that day. Okay. And they can't legally, once that transaction has gone through, they can't legally say, well, it's still new. So it it was driven once new to you. <laughs> it was driven once. And he said, do you want me to have it come down and we could drive it around? I was like, well, sure. So I got in it and I just felt like, oh, this is the car that like Sam Phillips would buy. Yeah. So I came back to the dealership with the, with the dealer. And I said, well, here's my problem is that I was thinking that I was going to, um, I was going to buy a new car, um, in about two months. That's why I'm just driving these to see, you know, if it's something I definitely want. Yeah. He goes, well, why can't you just take this one? I was like, well, because I won't be able to buy it for another couple of months until this check comes in. I can't have you keep a used car here, but I assume you'd be stocked with new cars. And so he said, well, we'll tell you what, Mr. Brewer, here's what we're going to do. You're going to write me a check for how much this car costs. And I'm going to go put it in my desk and I'm going to hand you the keys right now. And you're going to go and just call me and tell me when to cash it. And I said, uh, I said, well, that's not how things work. Don't you need some collateral or something like that? And he walked me to the end of summer Avenue where the dealership was. And he pointed across the street to the summer drive-in where there was a double bill of John Singleton's four brothers and hustle and flow. And in his Southern accent, he was like, that's about all the collateral I'm I'm going to need. And I was like, this is just like, it was, it was probably like one of my, best days like yeah. that was a victory for me 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 being able to just r- roll out of there and the seems like there. a very memphis moment too like only at a car dealership on summer avenue could with, that with a with a drive-in movie theater across the street i mean that's just not you can't find that in another city yeah well that's beautiful and then that theater as it's got an old bug that rotates up there if i'm yeah. not mistaken yep oh yeah i still go there well that's cool that day will be in my life at some point and it will involve a porsche but uh you're going, you're going Porsche. I mean, I've always yeah, been into Since risky business. German sports. I think that's what it was. My mom showed me that as a kid. A chocolate brown 928. It's beautiful. Is that a 5.0? The way you got? Uh, I did, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're just going to hold that I think forever. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to hold it. As a matter of fact, after I I told myself when I get my next directing check yeah. that um, I'm going to spoil my pony a little bit and get a get new interior and yeah maybe get a better sound system that's and, cool man to hold like that that's a that's a cool thing instead of trying to sell it or something yeah um did you get your kids cars or anything like that or no, no. <laughs> you know i gotta hand it you know my son you know he's pretty he, self-sufficient uh, without it he uh made a thing about just wanting to be able to pay for his car so yeah and he uh he got a job and did <laughs> that's great i love that story man that's a great car story. <laughs> well, thanks, dude, for being here. Um, I know you're busy. I'm trying to not nerd out with you for five hours over film shots and things like that. Too technical. But uh, it's good to have a film guy in the seat in front of me. <laughs> nerd out. Nerd out. Uh, just we were talking when we sat down, this advancement in front of us, this all-in-one mixer that allows us to do this. But things were so different back in the 90s when we – or when you <laughs> professionally started, you know, I remember you had to get all these 
cords and things and you even had like you know you had tapes to deal with and editing was just a headache it still had one foot in the analog world yeah digital was just coming online and those early things that you made obviously you probably just hold up in your living room and edited <laughs> yourself yeah. right and yeah it's uh it's come a long way we're getting spoiled or we can just pop a memory card in and do stuff like this but yeah I, you know it's it's interesting because there's always been conversation around technology in art right so mm -hmm. you know people are always saying like well it's just you know the, you know when when special effects went digital you know spielberg was like and, and lucas was like well it's a new tool that i can use yeah and they're right they're ultimately right for them but i have often wondered though if that's not the case on a on a longer cultural conversation just with youth today like i look at more and more kids that like i look at their phone and i think mm -hmm. to myself like that camera in that phone is infinitely better for film than i made my first movie yeah. on digital eight with like i mean it's some of these phones can record 8k it is but you still need skill that's my take on it right? well that's the tricky <laughs> thing is that, and so i think to myself I was like yeah but you know there's so many other things in that phone that take me away from wanting to use the camera. Mm. You know, yes, they, you know, yes, young people use cameras all the time and video things all the time, but I don't know if they're necessarily making things with them. They're, right. they're, they're doing like a press kit, you know, they're, they're saying, Hey, this is what I ate today. Or this is what I did today. Hey, this is the concert I was at. Aren't I cool? And, yeah. and by the way, I'm just as guilty of all that, but I just wonder you know, uh, if, if boredom and not having immense technological advancements in the palm of your hand has created yeah. some filmmakers. There's, or not. there's an immediacy there that we didn't have that choice before, especially with film photography, you had to wait and send it off. But because of that, you had to be a lot more conscious when you took a picture or filmed something, you know, it wasn't like I could just rattle it off and immediately see it. It was much more conscious thing. And I was reminded that recently I bought a film 40 year old Nikon just to get back into it. Cause yeah. I remember it as a kid and you only have like 36 shots, man. You can't That's just it. do it. You can't just depend on having 10,000 digital shots to go. You really have to frame things and think about it. And then you don't know until a month later you get them back, you know, so you remember. And I don't know if even just recently, what I mean by recently is like since the nineties, I mean, yeah polaroid is something that was costly it was like a kind of kind of like a buck 50 to two bucks a photo if you were going to buy like the 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 thing that went you know the the film yeah that that you were taking polaroids with where you know suddenly it, it's like it became more expensive because digital became so ubiquitous and cheap you know? yeah and you mentioned special effects that was adopted by people like spielberg but then there's the other major thing which is film which Guys like him very much held on to that and didn't want to shoot digitally, where, whereas Lucas did, obviously. So there was this kind of divergence and loyalty. So guys like Spielberg, guys like Nolan, they still cherished that shooting on film. And then most recently is the uh, the streaming issue. You know, yeah. those two directors, to give an example, are still very much uh, vehemently against that. Um, but what I like about you, you seem to have comfortably accepted both. Like I'll do a streaming film, you know, that's just as viable. And then I'll, I'll write a film and um, accept them both as, as just avenues for expressing art. 
Yeah. It, you know, I think about it. I, I went to, um, Christopher Nolan was showing, uh, what's the last Batman movie? Is it called dark Knight rises the, the or, dark, dark, or the dark Knight returns rises. or something like that? Rises. Uh, yeah. Believe, rises. Yeah. And he was showing the first 10 minutes of it to a bunch of filmmakers. Like it was just me and, uh, Todd field and, uh, John Favreau oh, yeah. and Michael Bay and like probably about like 10 other filmmakers at the DGA. No, this was actually at, uh, the universal walk, um, IMAX, IMAX and, and, yeah. and he was really big on wanting to show us the opening eight minutes, you know, the big plane heist moment, uh, in IMAX. Yeah. Um, and he was really making a, a, a pitch for film, right? Which I, I know is his thing and i get that but later that night i was at a party i was at michael bay's christmas party i know i'm dropping names and he was like you know i get what he's doing but you know i have colorists that i i know i could do exactly what he's doing digitally i could do exactly what i saw tonight and i have no doubt that michael bay knows what he's talking about i mean the guy's a technical i mean this guy started in camera work and knew all that kind of stuff yeah so i think what it gets down to is you you have spielberg who i know has worked in digital but he still likes to edit on like the flatbed, you know, mm -hmm. with Michael Kahn is using like dials mm -hmm. and they're cutting yeah. film on there. So I think he's just holding to a process that he loves. Yeah. It's not necessarily that he's like holding to this tradition because, you know, to be honest with you, there's a lot of reasons to get rid of film. I mean, yeah. it's not necessarily the greenest of all right. things, you know, we're, we, we are, that all that film does not just magically disappear, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So I, I kind of get it, but I've also filmed uh hustle and flow was done in super 16 millimeter. Uh, black snake moan was done in 30 super 35. So it was the footloose movie I did. But then when I went to do Dolomite Netflix, you, if you're making a movie for Netflix, the rule is it has to be digital. Cause that just helps their, their process, their, their flow. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't see Netflix like waiting for two weeks to have something shipped and processed. Or... There's a whole like couple of months long process after you deliver your movie that Netflix has to go through with mm -hmm. all their movies, because you got to remember they're, they're translating it into so many different languages and it's, yeah. it's a global footprint on something. And, and then making sure that there's, there's, um, you know, the, the, image that they're putting out on all of the different on, on this platform, like has quality control thresholds. Right. Yeah. That's cool. One thing uh, I don't think they've done yet is um, separate commentary tracks for uh, Netflix. Do they do that now or they, making of you they, still have to buy like a CD or they don't, they don't, they, um, I mean, like, I, I, I love I, commentaries. I did one for Dolomite, but what was interesting is that it was done um, completely separate from Netflix where this company that has like a podcast or something like that, that Netflix yeah. partnered with is that you just go in there and they tell you, get ready to start your movie and hit play. And, wow. and then you, you can listen to our commentary, me and Larry Karaszewski and Scott Alexander, the writers of Dolomite is my name. We did a commentary. So, so far, and I'm happy that coming to America, I did one too. Yeah. So, so far, I've had a commentary on every single one of my movies. Beautiful. Some people don't, some people don't get that opportunity. Yeah. I've noticed that too. Um, back to Spielberg. He, he never does it for his movies, but yeah. I understand. Yeah. Um, but it would be cool to have that option, but I understand their stance on that. Probably like 99% or not of people who are on Netflix are not going to watch it with a commentary, but it would be nice to have that or have the making of or behind right. the scenes stuff. Yeah. Yeah. People would watch that. 
So hustle, that was your, that was your mark. That was the, uh, the one, the little, the little engine that could. Yeah. It's <laughs> such a great story, man. How that, how that movie got off the ground. And you hear that so many times of movies or stories or books or people getting, you know, doors slammed in their face and you wanted to have a budget and then you had to go through all these different people and you landed on John, which was the absolute best thing that could have happened. Totally. Um, but I, I love those stories and I think about that stuff, that kind of serendipitous or happenstance, you know. If you had gotten what you want, if you went to the first studio and they gave you the check and you made it, um, it would have been a great film, but it, it, the journey would have been different. You know, you, you would have, you would not have met John. You would not have had that extraordinary experience that you had at Sundance. It would have just been kind of greenlit and, and, and I remember you were, I was talking to you about that. Um, is it Sheridan who directed, is it the 50 cent movie that came oh, yeah. out around the same yeah, time? Sheridan. Yeah. And I shared with you that me and my best friend had just watched hustle back in 05 and before that they had a preview for 50 cent that 50 cent movie what was it live live die and try and uh, I, I think there's something to i think there's something to learn from this isn't there <laughs> yes here we are struggling <laughs> well it, it no, seemed very it? It commercial a, and then your movie came get on rich or it, die trying yeah is that, so. is that what it is that yeah. what it was called i, I, I yeah. think it was it seemed very polished and this was just going from the trailer and then and then your movie was just saturated in this kind of authenticity you know this hustle and so these gems that evolve and emerge from these hardships of getting things made and you know i think about your film i think about films recently like uh, dallas buyers club just right. shoestring stuff and then it goes on not that it's about the awards but no, something about that journey uh made it become e even more special if that makes sense and i think you said you had a an encounter with sheridan when you were editing or something like that yeah i i Surprised you remember that. I can't remember when I've told this story before, but um, I was, you know, Paramount had just bought Hustle and Flow, mm -hmm. and they were now going to be casting Get Rich or Die Trying because uh, they had not made that movie or finished the movie or, or whatever. But so I, I was coming onto the lot, and the and one of the executives that I had come to know since they purchased Hustle was walking towards me with Jim Sheridan. <laughs> And, um, they introduced it and I did not know the movie he was making. Okay. Um, so I was like, it's such a, I mean, I was a huge fan and, you know, saw all his, all his movies up until then. And, and he looked really kind of thrown a little, little disturbed. Um, <laughs> and I didn't, and I didn't know what was going on. And the, even the executive was a little awkward mm -hmm. with everything. So I was like, well, Craig, we just watched your movie. I was like, oh, and so now there's a pit in my stomach thinking like, oh, this guy hates my movie. Right. Cause he's, he's, he just seemed a little thrown a little bit. Yeah. And he said, great. You know, he's Irish. So he's swearing, you know, he's like, it, it was a great movie. And I was like, oh, thank God. Great, man. And he goes, um, you know, but uh, I was here to look at Terrence to be, and Terrence was later in get Richard dry trying. I don't know if you remember that Terrence Howard is in that movie okay. and it was, and that's why he was watching that movie. Yeah. He wanted to see Terrence, yeah. but he got really thrown by the fact that he was like, I don't know, you know, the movie I'm making is about a, a hustler who becomes a rapper. And you just showed me a, a, a movie for maybe, you know, an eighth of what we're making our movie for. And it's really, really good. 
Yeah. And so it, it was a, it was a, it was a weird compliment moment, but I know what you're talking about. As a matter of fact, after we do this podcast, <laughs> I was having a coffee with my daughter and she was asking me what I have to do. And I said, well, I'm going to be talking to that man, Ian, that we saw earlier. <laughs> and, uh, and then I have a budget meeting, uh, on this new movie that I'm going to be hopefully shooting in March of yeah. next year. And I said, the thing that I really want to do is, um, is I, I got to get the budget down. And she was like, well, are they making you do that? And I said, no, I, I want to do it. I want to get the budget down. And she goes, well, isn't, isn't more better. And I was like, actually, um, I'm now older. And I realized that that's not the case that, uh, for one thing, you're held to that when the movie starts making money. And if you've made the movie for a lot of money, uh, then you're held to a higher standard of box office and we're in a, we're in a tricky time right now. And I don't know if, if we're going to do that. And I was like, but the bigger one is that ugh, I've made movies for less that have done pretty good. And, yeah. you know, there's something to that kind of go get them, you know, that, that not having a lot of money sometimes creates better art. Yeah. There's the one for them, one for me thing to, uh, um, a lot of directors, again, Spielberg, you know, he'll do the big fanfare thing and then very personal films and or something that a studio wants you to make and that might, might afford you an opportunity to, to write and direct right. something a bit more intimate or close to your heart. Um, but you've worked with Eddie twice now, so I see that's probably going to be a thing. Yeah, we definitely are going to be working together again. It worked really well. Uh, it must have been so surreal, like calling action and Eddie's in, in front of your camera, man. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, it really was. But I, I also think that I've gotten to see something that I know seems kind of obvious to everybody, but he's a really good actor. And I know that us fans have always known that like uh, the globe would leap to their feet. If one day Eddie won an Academy award, like they would, they would just go like, of course, Eddie should win. An and Academy he award. seems to me to be somebody who's potential is still very much untapped it, completely even though he's in his yes. 50s now and yeah you know, so. well because and that's something that i've learned with the last the, the the two movies that i just made with him is that he's occupying a different turf than we've kind of had him in before you know in his yeah. early days he was brash and young and and yeah. and you know uh single you know mm -hmm. you kind of saw him as that leading man that like women wanted to go to bed with and uh but you know now he's a you know, he's father of 10 kids <laughs> you know he's he's now he's now officially a grandfather you know he's <laughs> he uh like he joked on saturday night live you know he's he's usurped uh bill cosby uh, <laughs> uh not just because of the scandal but you know he yeah. is mr family man and 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 i think that some people would that would then go like oh does that mean he's going to do more shrek movies and i don't mean that i mean he's able now to do roles that uh that are are different than what the burden of a leading man needs to have so um you know you look at a paul newman yeah. and you go like oh yeah of course he's got some fantastic films when he's younger but man you know the verdict is pretty amazing mm -hmm. you know color money is pretty amazing yeah. and it's because he's he's lived a life yeah. he's older you know? a man gets older just something happens right no right lends itself yeah uh, but also just comedic actors the great comedic actors there's something incredible when they shift into doing a dramatic role which is i don't know what happens there but you see it with like robin williams and oh, yeah. goodwill hunting these guys are like maniacs and 90 percent of their career 
but there just something happens when they get a dramatic role that it just they just become even better actors if that makes sense yeah i'm um, sure that comedians are are they they go into the same they go into acting probably for the same reasons that actors do which is there's a a reservoir of of pain and trauma and also wanting to impress and and have uh, have people love them uh and and i count myself amongst those as well but but they also just are uh straight up amazing creative gifted talented craftsmen they they know what audiences require for yeah. for a good story and uh and and eddie I, I think another thing that would kind of like blow people away is how much of a of a film student he is i mean he watches movies every day right. and i'll 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 bring up something and, and he'll just be like, Oh yeah. It's like that moment in Greystoke, you know, I'll know him. If he's a Greystoke, I'll know him at a glance. And I was like, I know, I know exactly what line you're talking about. Yeah. And John Gielgud says that in Tarzan or the Greystoke uh, legend of Tarzan. So he, it, him and Tracy Morgan would, we would, we would, we would stop filming just to just watch them do word for word. These scenes from the original planet of the apes. Yeah. like knew every line yeah exactly but also he would he would know certain movies that i didn't know like um do you know uh putney swope i've never heard swope of this movie. Sounds, sounds familiar yeah uh um robert downey made it not junior but robert downey directed it and mm -hmm. it is a crazy yeah. crazy movie that that and he knew it he he knew it yeah so <laughs> he he's he, he's really he knows what he's talking about and yeah. his instincts on story and character are spot on. So I, I, I would, I would just like to work with him again and again. Yeah. Legend has it. You told him a joke in his trailer and he laughed and you thought that was a, a pivotal moment. It was a pivotal something moment about for, Mississippi. I'm, or... I'm sure, I'm sure it wasn't a pivotal <laughs> moment in Eddie's life at all. It was a pivotal moment for me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, to make Eddie laugh is, um, is, really or to see him really laugh at something yeah uh when he's just hanging out with friends and he's not you know we're not working that's 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 really special yeah memphis is such a great town uh to film in sadly as you know over the years we've lost a lot of productions because of things like tax you know state tax things and issues but i think the stuff that has been made here it's it's right up on the screen man you really feel it and I think, if I'm not mistaken, you wanted to have Footloose made here, but that didn't happen. Yeah. So it seems to always still be a struggle to get things made here. Do you know what we can? Well, I think we're we change we're that. finally at a place now with this new incentive that is happening that maybe that can change. Yeah. You know? But uh, you know, I I go I go back and forth on it all. Like I I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's crew here and there's talent here. But um, it's really about these guys that are sitting in an office somewhere in Hollywood that are running numbers. Like it, when it comes to things filming here, that's really what it's about, you know. Yeah. It's, and and there's just unless you can, it, here's here's the hard thing is that it's it's weird. I'm going to try to explain this. It's like they don't necessarily look at a low budget. They want to look as if you're saving them money. So it doesn't necessarily mean that mm -hmm. the budget will be lower in in their mind maybe the budget's higher but if they're showing that wow we got we just got 30 percent back on what Fishing. we spent then i think that checks some box with the conglomerates that they're all a part of or something like that so it, it may not make sense but yeah. it does are you about 50 50 memphis la or are you mostly here 
I, um, I'm assuming you have a home out there and everything. I got, I got an apartment that I've had since black snake moan. And every year I'm always like, all right, so this is the last year that I have this apartment, but I managed to yeah. get another gig that, that I can uh, keep it. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm less 50, 50 now I'm more out okay. here. Like during the pandemic, I was able to figure out a way that I could do some of my work from my offices across town and, yes. and, uh, and I could, I can edit. I could also, um, do music, uh, mixing like from far away. They, they, they would link my, my, mm-hmm. I have a small theater type of thing that, that yeah. would link that to the sound stages. Yeah. You're, Office is just down the hall, right? Yeah. And nice. then this building, man. I mean, uh, what a miracle. Yeah. Crosstown Concourse. Uh, every day of the week, there's just kind of golden hour. It's like around three o'clock. Uh, the sun is, is shining through the windows. There's like a who's who of Memphis all in this one big room. And then the high school gets out and there's like kids everywhere on the stairs. And then I'll see you sitting over there doodling in your notebook, probably hatching some you know film idea. And it's like this really special memphis moment <laughs> well it's so interesting because my former wife and i who were, were still very very close and we work literally right next to each other she's got her office right yeah. next to mine and and our daughter uh, goes to school here so we like to right before three o'clock we get a coffee and we meet down there That's, because yeah. we too are really into that life that suddenly explodes at three o'clock there's an energy that i think you forget about until you have like a high schooler where you go like, Oh yeah. Remember that? Remember that moment when you were released? Yeah. You know, but you actually don't want to leave. Yeah. So they're, they're hanging out in crosstown with their friends that maybe they didn't get to see in class or whatever. And literally the teachers have to do like a sweep at about 30 minutes after they're let out. Like, okay guys, you need to go home. Yeah. And it's special to have a high school in a building like this. Like none of us, I didn't go to a school like that. (laughs) It was like an offsite thing. I just attended a a lip sync battle in the, in the, um, the gym with the the high school. It's like bring your dad day or something. No, no. Uh, (laughs) one of the students, uh, who would see me at coffee all the time and is in, in, uh, Jody's class, uh, invited me and, and her, and we went and of course mortified our daughter. It's like, what are you guys doing here? You know? (laughs) But, uh, it was so exciting because I, you know, I, I know it, I know it always seems to be the conversation, but yet at the same time, it's not the conversation, which is the conversation of our racial dynamic here in Memphis. Mm -hmm. And, to sit in that auditorium and look around at everybody and see a truly split down the middle, if not per- perhaps leaning more towards African-American school. Like I, I can't help, but just feel that, that um, this is what doing right looks like. Like this is what success looks like. Mm-hmm. Like I did not grow up in that kind of a school. And it's the thing about Memphis that I try to explain to a lot of people in Los Angeles because when I go to Los Angeles, I don't have that experience at all. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in Hollywood. Right. And yet there's so much talk and assumptions about the South, uh, that, yeah. that I go like, I don't think you've been to Memphis because <laughs> Memphis is like truly a special place. Well, that's one thing I really appreciate about you is that you have kind of, you know, a foot in both of those worlds. Um, a lot of people, from a town of this size would just move out there and, you know, they build their career and their life out there and uh, maybe come back for Christmas, but to be actively involved in the community and just be here, I think that's speaks to you as a, well, I get more out of it than, than and it keeps you else. humble. Probably. I don't know. 
It does keep me humble, but it's more about being just inspired. That's yeah. really what it is. I mean, I'll be honest, it's selfish. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it's, it, I, um, I, first and foremost, I love having a community around me. Right. I love having friends that I've known, uh, for decades that, uh, were coming to see my movies when I was playing in them in bars. And now they're like, Oh, saw coming to America on Amazon the other day. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's the same enthusiasm that I got when they saw my first movie, poor and hungry at, yep. at studio on the square. So that feels good because it just feels like a continuity. It feels like if something went wrong in my career that I wouldn't necessarily be judged on it um, here in my community, which is what a community should be for everyone, especially in an artistic community. You want to feel safe. You want to feel safe to try things, to, to take a risk and do your best, but also fall flat on your ass and have somebody go like, Hey man, it's good. Uh, I'll see you at your next one. And then you're like, Oh, in, in Hollywood, there there tends to feel like there's a trap door under you at, at all times. And that if you if you mess up and you don't do the right thing or the right box office or the right, you know, cinema score or whatever, that mm-hmm. you're done. And I don't feel that being here. Yeah. That's good energy, man. Well, the cinema is a, is a sacred space, you know, for me. I don't know how you feel about going back out into the cinemas and the theatrical experience. I think it's great to finally this summer see people out into the theaters uh, oh, yeah. locally. And I just, the streaming stuff is cool, you know, just to be able to sit home and watch it. But there's just nothing like getting out into that theater, man. It's oh, just yeah. a special, truly special thing. And I, I pray we always have that just sitting in a dark room with people. <laughs> I don't, you know, I really, I know that people are still very doom and gloom about it, but I don't think yeah. it's going to be going away. Yeah. I don't you think know? so. Either. And I, and I don't think it's going to be just, okay, it's top gun from here on out or, or big tent poles because you just never know, uh, what's going to explode, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I just don't imagine that every single theater is going to close, that there's still be these theaters, but they're going to have other screens. So, the problem that we have right now is just there's not any movies to go see, you know? Yeah, especially during COVID. There was a bunch of, like, weird stuff out. I just didn't. Yeah. I managed to go see Tenet and was about it. Um, yeah. And uh, and then we'll always have indie houses and independent and stuff like Black Lodge. God bless them. You know, that's an awesome space. But, it is. Uh, but uh, Top Gun, did you see it? I did. Yeah, wasn't it cool? It was, it was fun. amazing. It's no. been like enormously successful. Enormously successful, but that's what actually a really good movie does. <laughs> and I know people have issues with sequels and and stuff like that, but yeah, but so talking about it, better than and, and you know, well, it's, just, it's I, it, the only thing I get. You know, I, I, it's funny because like I've now made a sequel and I've made a remake, and I always true. get a little bit like. When someone says like, I like your footloose better than the original. And I go, well, hold on a second. I'm like, <laughs> now no, wait a minute here. Like, I'm very proud of my movie, but you know, I grew up on Kevin Bacon's yeah. footloose. That's my footloose. And That's, people who say that are different generation, usually younger person. Well, right? such as my daughter and all of her friends, which by the way, they, that movie's having a renaissance right now because of Miles Teller. Because Miles Teller became like a mega star. I mean, he's been around for a good minute yeah. and, and doing great work. But like Top Gun suddenly like put him in the stratosphere. And now there's TikTok videos where 13-year-old and 14-year-old girls are just like they can't get enough of Miles Teller. And they're going back and watching all his movies. It's and so mustache. It's, uh, I, I do think so. 
But uh, yeah, and and so I look at Top Gun, and when people go like, I think it's better than the first Top Gun, I go, you can't say that because it is so good. Yeah, because the first one exists. It's it's good because exactly it's it's continuing a story that that really really worked. And then you're with our last movie star. I mean, Tom Cruise is our last movie star. You think so? Yeah, I, I don't know who else is like Tom Cruise. I mean, I could say that the that that you know Dwayne Johnson is like maybe close with that, but yeah. not really because who he, is in town filming a, a TV show? He is. Um, he is. Which actually shot an audition this morning for that. I mean, he's a. He, don't get me wrong. He's a mega star. It's just you know yeah. Tom has been doing this consistently for how many decades now? Yeah, and he's absolutely devoted to his to his work and his craft and that really comes across well he's devoted to his craft but at his core whatever anybody thinks about him he is <laughs> working for you and i've i've known that from a lot of people that have worked with him and i've i almost made a movie with him i've met him a few times and he is he is an actor who is actively caring about a person who's spending money in a theater yeah and that's kind of genuine. <laughs> yeah. You know? I think, uh, Harrison Ford also comes to mind. He He's always talked about he, he works for the people who are buying the tickets, you know. Absolutely. And you just want to give it your all on screen. But, it, yeah, Top Gun was cool. I mean, I, I saw it. I had to go see it. But, oh, yeah. Uh, and I went. it was special because I saw it with, I think everybody went to see that with somebody older, you know, like their dad or something. So. Well, that's how I felt about when coming to America two came out during the pandemic, like I was a little bit bummed that, okay, I didn't get my day in the theater, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's so funny cause I was supposed to go up against a uh, West side story and, oh, and, it was going to be a December. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think I probably would have beaten it <laughs> in terms of so. box office. Right. Yeah. Because, uh, I just think that, that coming to America, it, it was, a, it was at a time with, you know, I think people just want some comedy, but I do feel really special though, that, it was this moment where everybody could do kind of that. Like everybody got grandma over the yeah. kids over and everybody had like a coming to America party. And didn't it top the Netflix uh, or yeah, it was, Amazon. it was Amazon and it was an unbelievable hit. I mean, it, wow. it, it beat shows. Yeah. Meaning like meaning like more people watched the two hour movie than they did entire seasons of other, other programs. But you know, I'm I'm more happy that it was just a good fun party like Top Gun was, where you got a bunch of people that loved the first one and wanted to see the second one. Yeah, I think. But with the streaming stuff, yeah, it's just a different animal. And uh, we're just talking about cinema and how things were different, especially with like Star Wars. How things were different, you know, we only had three films to de to deal with back then. It's like no spinoffs, no none of that stuff, and uh, there was a purity of story there. And then any given movie, when it came out, you had to wait like eight. 10 months to get it to watch it at your house now it's yeah. just like if immediately that, out you know if that, I mean, <laughs> there was a process yeah et was like a year later but then again et ran in theaters for like a year did, yeah, yeah it, it was. was did you see et uh when it came out again just recently like, like as a child oh yeah oh yeah as a matter of fact that was the first movie that my father and i went to go see because of spielberg i think everybody a lot of people's first movie they'll say et uh, i mean mine um, was definitely star wars was it Star Wars? My first film, technically, that I remember going to see was The Never Ending Story. Yeah. Um, because I remember. Did you cry? I don't know. You didn't cry. Little, when, remember when his horses. Yeah. I remember distinctly standing in the parking lot outside of Perkins at uh, Highland Quartet. Wow. You remember this theater? Rest its all. Um, 
Yeah, so that was my earliest cinematic, and then I just was saturated in movies growing up. But uh, yeah, the state of cinema, it, it seems to be healthy, and you seem to be optimistic about it, so I am. I'm I am. optimistic about it. Everybody should be. Cool. You're not allowed to talk on what you're working on now, so I won't ask you that. Um, Officially, you cannot. I've got, I've got, you know, I think in the next couple of months, it may, if everything goes well, it, it'll get announced, but I've kind of, there's something that uh, I know is not his line, but I heard Jim Dickinson say once, which is, uh, it ain't final till it's on vinyl. And I've, I've learned just not to like say, oh, this is what I'm doing because that's, so yeah. You never know what will come along and That's true. torpedo it. I think you should write and direct a Batman movie. Have you seen the Batman? Yeah. I've seen a few it's of those. Yeah, on meme. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, it could be a thing. You could cast Eddie, maybe. Yeah. In the, in the vein of uh, what's the what's a, uh, vampire movie? Blackula. Yeah. Black, is that what you're and, thinking? And, or are you talking well, Blade? Are you talking like. Didn't Eddie Murphy do a vampire movie? Yeah, he did a. Um, um, uh, but black sounds something well, more, more you. So, <laughs> well, I think that who was it that was talking about how they saw, I can't remember what comedian was talking about how they, they grew up watching blackula. And then when they saw Dracula, they were like, Oh, this is like, <laughs> this is a, this is a, a version of blackula. <laughs> exactly. I think they said the same thing about the, the whiz yeah. and, and the wizard of Oz. What's your favorite scene and hustle? Um, my favorite scene is it, well, it. It's hard to to get past uh, watching the making of um, of Heart Out Here for a Pimp. I mean, yeah. I love watching them do whoop that trick. It's yeah. great. But there's a moment where they're pushed out of their own house. Yep. That's okay, look, we need to work, y'all. Y'all need to leave the studio right now. Right now. Hey, man, this is my motherfucking house, man. That's some shit. And they're sitting out on a porch and they're just listening in the distance as the, the song is being recorded. Yeah, they had to surrender it to the mixers. Yeah. Right? And DJ, I remember going up to Terrence and I was like, it's a difficult birth. Yeah. And he's like, what? And I was like, your, your baby's being born in the next room and, <laughs> and it's not, and it may, it, it, it could go either way. You could have a great birth. You could have a, a, a stillborn child oh was that your direction yeah to him? And, uh, and so uh, if you watch that moment there's smoke he's smoking everybody's like looking he he looks worried yeah. <laughs> and i i love and you're hearing the muffled sounds of the of the beat and so um i always think about that when i see that scene so i always like it you're on dog yeah that's beautiful i remember listening to your commentary uh when we watched it at home and uh it was very inspiring especially at the end i think you just kicked both of our asses my my best friend and i we would watch movies and it was very inspiring because you're like you're like if you have an idea for something if you want to do something you need to get out there and do it like now and this was in 05 you know when things were different youtube wasn't even a thing i think right. barely and uh i just always remember that and that rang very true to me so it it's something that um coppola always talked about just start making it like yeah. what's going to happen? Like someone says, stop. Like, I, right. I know that sounds rather simplistic, but it's actually true. It, the movie that I'm working on right now, that was probably going to be the next movie that I make. And next year, uh, there was just this moment where I said, wait a minute, why am I waiting on the studio to tell me if we're making it or not? 
what if I just start making it? Isn't that what um, Jojo Rabbit was the director of? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, uh, Taika. Yeah. Didn't yeah. he say he just kind of did his thing and then like told the studio, here's the movie? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was just like, no, I, I, I talk, I, just so you know, I talked to this actor. He wants to do it. And they're like, oh, oh, well, we haven't said that we're doing it or not. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to be making the movie one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, but this actor now wants to do it. And they're like, oh, well, that, that does change things. Okay. And uh, just today, I, I, put out a call saying like, let's get on the, let's get on the phone about the budget, <laughs> you know? And so we just, yeah. sometimes you, you have to, you can't leave it to them to make it. You've got to make it. Yeah. Well, the budget thing, are you doing, what are you altering? Are you altering set pieces and things that would cost physically more money to build? I think there's that. I mean, it's me saying like, uh, I don't want to have a build. I want everything to be practical. Um, so you'll just write the scene slightly differently. No, I think, but I do think that I will have to kind of maybe go back into the script and see if there's some things that I can cut and, uh, yeah. and, and also go like, all right, do, do I really need this many days to film it? Even though I would love to have that many days, I still have, you know, I've shot on, t- you know, for television. I know I can do more for less and yeah. maybe I don't need so many days. And so every day costs a certain amount of money. Well, my favorite thing from that movie is just the uh, classic line. Everybody got to have a dream. It's something my dad uh, said to me a lot. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was, oh. So I, I took that from him. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you for your time, man. And um, it's a blessing to sit down with you and talk cinema and talk Memphis. And Let's do it again. I hope to find myself in your viewfinder again one day, my friend. Sweet. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Thank you. Bye-bye. Everybody got to have a dream.